Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. The Thinking Practitioner Podcast is supported by ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with Pocket Suite, and much more. ABMP CE courses, podcasts, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including Whitney Lowe and myself, Till Luca. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com slash thinking. <laughs> we are here. We're here. Ha ha. Ha Welcome, everybody. A special episode of this podcast, whatever channel you're listening in. I am Tiluka. I have a special, amazing co-host with me here today, Sue Hitzman, the creator of the Melt Method with over 3,000 instructors around the world and who knows how many hundreds of millions of followers online. Sue, you and I wanted to to uh, do something for a while. We were brainstorming and we thought, Aaron, Aaron Alexander. I love that. One of my favorite humans on the planet of all times. That's so cool and humbling to hear because I have so much respect and admiration for both of you. For both of you for the last, uh, I don't know, at least decade. I don't don't know how to keep track, but for a long time. So I really appreciate that. It's really humbling, honestly. Thank you. We love you. Aaron, yeah, you were the host of the Align podcast. You've had amazing uh, conversations with amazing people for a long time. Anything else you want people to know about you and what you do? Oh, I mean, we share congruencies in, in Rolfing. Went to the Rolf Institute. Uh, are you, are, do you go to Rolf Institute, Till? You do, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so background originally was obsessing about bodybuilding, a lot of insecurity, putting the pieces together, like, you know, wildly incorrectly. That led to a lot of injury, chronic pain. Um, just like existential dread throughout my mind and body. Uh, and then started studying, went to school for massage therapy and then rolfing and studied psychology for a bit in Hawaii and got into martial arts and surfing and, you know, other ways of kind of bringing back, um, you know, integration into the body, uh, an ease, you know, and then started the podcast about eight years ago, wrote this book called the Align method about three years ago or so. And now it's been really been a transition into teaching people how to work with themselves, you know, as opposed to just doing one-on-one work, you know, in manual therapy, uh, with a single client, you know, or five clients throughout the day, how do we be able to educate people on how to work with themselves is really what I'm, what I've been up to. Well, that's cool. I hope we get to talk about your book. Yeah. Uh, honestly, mostly I just wanted to hang out with you both and, uh, just, you're both people I admire a lot and learn from, and there's all kinds of ways I want to unpack that and explore that with you. So what do you want to say here at the onset? What do you want to toss in the ring? I don't know. I'm just so grateful to get to hang out with you two because I just know this is going to be a great conversation. And, uh, you know, again, mutual respect for all of the pioneering education and work and just the tenacity and the brightness of both of you guys. I think it's really inspiring. So I'm just grateful to be in the company of you. Hmm. Thank you. Well, let's, what do you say we pick Aaron's brain a little bit like we plan to do and then just see where that goes. As long as I can pick back, 
I'm here for that. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Can I go first? You please. Okay. So of all of my podcasts that I will listen to while doing anything, right? I now live in Florida, so I'm driving my car. So great opportunities. And Aaron, you always have great people to listen to. Like you have, I don't even know. I'd love to know three things. How many podcasts have you done mm. since the inception? And I know this is going to be a hard one, but if you had to think of one podcast that you had that either was so impactful or so influential that you still, it pops up into your mind still today. Was there like one of all of your podcasts that was like really like this was probably one of my most profound or most exciting or something. I think probably the most exciting for me is, is someone that's like, would be notable to you guys, maybe not, not notable to, to everyone, uh, but Bruce Lipton, the biology of the belief, author of, of biology of belief. Not just because uh, of it was, it was Bruce, but because he invited me out to his house in I think it was maybe Santa Cruz or Santa something in California. And uh, I went out there with my girlfriend at the time. We like spent the whole day with him and his wife and, you know, he gave me a big jar of his homegrown cannabis. And we just like had like a really cool, fun, deep connection for the day. And he was someone that was really pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in transitioning my relationship of just exclusively like mere physicality into more of this bridge into the mind body relationship when I was like, I think 16 or something like that. Yeah. And so that was a, the really like a, a, a major pivotal point for me in my life. And then to be however old I was, 33 or four or something like that. And uh, to get to go 20 years later and spend the day with this person that had just had, had such a massive effect on me. That was, that was a big thing. And I think as far as like number of episodes we've done, I think maybe like 460 or something. I'm not really sure. We've done, we've done it for the last eight and a half years. So it's been a while. It's been like, you know, two, four year um, college educations for me is the way that I see it. Each year it's like, cool, I, I, I got another, I graduated again and I'm on my third now. I love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah, Bruce is so influential. I actually went to the consciousness conference earlier this year. I, you know, I don't know, it popped up in my feed as all weird things, like as you're looking for things on consciousness, sure enough, you know, Google is, and Instagram is, is putting things in front of me. And, uh, yeah, there was a consciousness conference and Bruce was one of the speakers. I was like, I want to go to a consciousness conference mm -hmm. and see what they like. What's that going to be about? And it was really kind of mind blowing just the ideas that are out there. And some of them just seem so far out there. And then you and then you kind of learn a little bit about it. And you're like, well, I mean, these are probable ideas. This actually sounds like it makes a lot of sense, you know, especially with Bruce's work of just, um, you know, I, I believe it like between the ages of zero and seven, you're getting programmed, you're like an empty, you know, computer, and you're putting yeah. in all these programs. And then as you get older, you're still working off the programs. And when I understood that from his work and, and others, but he was definitely very influential in that idea. You, you know, you do look at your life in a different way. You, you're like, wow, I can see why I'm doing, why I'm reacting to this person because they're triggering this thing in my past of how my dad used to do that to me. And then, and then instead of reacting, I just kind of like watch it move by and my ability now to consciously change that situation 
uh, for the better is brilliant because of that type of work. I, I, I love that, Bruce. I, I love that interview that you did with him, too. Oh, He's nice. really fantastic. Yeah, I just I just uh, was reading about uh, Galileo and the, the heliocentric model of, you know, that like everything's revolving around the Earth. And I think that that's an interesting thing of how, you know, for a while, a long while, that was the common perspective of, of the church, you know, and that was like, if you went against that concept or idea, you were considered a heretic, you, you know, exactly, you'd be, you know, all of his books were burnt, he was put yeah. into uh, house arrest for the last yeah. nine remaining years of his life, and then he died in, I think, 1642. So that was like, that was like our great, great, great grandparents, like, that wasn't a long time ago. That exactly. It was, it, it was illegal, illegal to think question the existing uh belief system yeah right. he burned at the and stake. he was tortured yeah he was tortured for the sake of his soul to yeah. try to get to recant yeah so these things he was saying and at least the way i understand the story he, he for a long time he said no listen i just got to go with what i observe i just got to stick with that right yeah. this is science and so that's not to say that you that one ought believe everything that sounds like lunacy which lunacy um, is like of the moon uh but it's it's to be open to uh, varying perspectives and I personally my ears perk up more when there actually is suppression of information you know and so when people are put under house arrest and it is illegal to say or think a thing I'm like hold on I see I wanna, a pattern <laughs> I'm going over wait, to their house <laughs> wait I'm not I'm saying they're house arrest that person. why are they being suppressed if it's a stupid idea why don't right. we let it go there's something here that I want to jump on. That that is what you maybe underneath that is this idea of openness to experience, yeah, or openness to different ideas, or openness to ideas that are out of the norm. Yeah. Well, and, the world is still not really ready for that. And then again, uh -huh. we don't. I don't. I think that there's a lot of that though going on right now in different genres and different things, like the whole, you know, what, what you know, what's your pronoun and things like that, and in these ways of uh, trying to understand one another but i think that by by doing these things can actually separate us more instead of really creating something that is all-inclusive as humans and to try to find more compassion and to understand one another more and to have more open conversations but i think and aaron said it a second ago galileo wasn't really all that long ago right oh. that 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 we're that we were doing that then but that stuff still happens now i mean you see it happening all over the place and, and when you write a book you kind of get that where people are like if you write something that's a little off from what other people say you get shamed and ridiculed and beaten down and and it but it but it's how you react to it that uh that i think really counts right it's our reactions to the world that are what are gonna create either calmness or craziness taking my drink to that yeah, yeah. Yep. and then i mean so that's okay so so whatever that is like three four hundred years ago that still seems kind of long for a while you look at the khmer rouge in cambodia and i think pol pot was the name of the dictator if i remember correctly um i was just out there it was like 10 years ago so i don't i'm not super savvy on the information at this point but i think that was like 60 years ago or 50 years ago, we have to look up exactly how long ago that was. But again, it was it was a a, a murdering of the intellectuals like that. Yeah. If you think too much, like we got to get you out because we got these new ideas here and there's we have an agenda. I'm not and I'm not even making this 
well, I, I think I probably, it seems like I'm instigating some type of political dialogue, but that's not my intention. I'm more suggesting this just more for like freedom of thought and also compassion for other people's perspectives. Okay. And this Here's could tie question. back to the, back to the body of, of integration. Yeah. Okay. We can go to the body, but I got a question for you too. Yeah. How do you, Aaron, and then I want to hear from you too, Sue, how do you each know when your openness might be going too far? How, like, cause you're yeah. both really people that are uh willing to be surprised is there that's beautiful i want to celebrate that and i want to spend most of our conversation there if we can and yet around that is some sort of line that says okay wait a minute i don't know maybe mm -hmm. it's that kind of paradox between wonder and skepticism or something like that yeah. so how do you personally know when that needle is tripping for you so you want me to go first you're a, la um, you're a lady, so I am a lady. I would open your door if there was some way to open your entrance Thank into you, speaking. Aaron. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess how do I know I've run too far? I, I, I actually think I have quite a grand amount of constraint, and I think I've, I've learned to be that way. I grew up in a family where you had to tell them everything. Like even if they hadn't asked you what you were doing, you were telling them what you were doing. And uh, you, like you just always had to say. So to me, I just think um, I'm selective. Like when somebody asks me a question, depending upon what the question is, I might actually say to them, why do you ask? Or I might ask the question back to them. That's an interesting question. What do you blah, 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 right? And I put it back to them because there's some other thing that they want to talk about. And so I kind of find that as an opportunity to have a conversation rather than answer a question. So yeah. I think on that, like just as a human, that's kind of like my mindset in in my career. I think for me, I am um, I am a non absolute human. I, I am never like this is it. And that is not I am not a black white person. I feel like I'm middle of the road. I find um, great interest in not knowing and then going out there and learning so that I do know. And then, um, and then I think it just opens doors for more learning. So I think that, uh, you know, that's probably more my come from is I don't, I don't know how far out there I get in my <laughs> thoughts, beliefs, feelings, or my communication with others. That's great. Middle way. Aaron, can I change my question a little bit? Yeah, change it. Uh, where do you fall on that spectrum between too, too open or too discriminating? My background would be too discriminating and which comes from a place of, I think some level of insecurity of feeling like I could be perceived as too open. And so I would hypercompensate with excessive reductionism and, <laughs> you know, pragmatism Lovely. and scientism. Yeah. And I was very like, okay, if it's not measurable, if I can't hold it, like, I don't even want to mention it. There hasn't yeah. been some double blind study, some empirical data. Like, I don't think it's even worth bringing up. And I've transitioned much more into actually trusting uh, intuition, which is like a dirty word in in the, the modern podcast. Is that the new dirty word? I, I think if you say like, like, like a, I was talking to, to um, Paul Saladino a couple, uh, like a week ago or something on my podcast. He's the, the carnivore guy on the internet. Yeah. Uh, one of the carnivore guys. He's, he's wild. And that, was, and that was, but that was one of the things that I was, that we were talking about was like the concept of intuitively eating which sounds like just such an airy fairy like nonsensical concept but it's also like deeply true and deeply real 
And oh, yeah. uh, but the the way to get to a point of actually having some level of clarity within one's intuition takes a lot of self work and introspection, and you know cleaning, and also I think tandemly with that it's like that internal uh, cleaning of one's own mirror, one's own own looking glass, and also simultaneously being open to holding complete diametrically opposed perspectives in as as equanimous a way as as you possibly can even though you probably will have some type of bias just naturally and that's okay but even holding your own bias with as much equanimity as possible and then from there if if you're able to navigate that uh then it's coming into okay well what feels good you know and what feels good this goes outside of like empirical realm and also actually steps into it as well because science is just chasing intuition largely uh but stepping into like what makes me feel safe what makes me feel like i feel like i have an expansive feeling sensation in my chest in my abdomen in my throat what makes me feel like uh oh i noticed an exhalation when we started communicating that way we started thinking that way okay now we might be i mean i would say we almost absolutely are but we might be tapping in to some deeper wisdom that exists within the body that's largely been right. you know kind of forfeited in in much of modern culture yeah well, yeah i like what you're saying i think i'm i relate to it in that i think i am so i'm trained and maybe family of origin also trained to be so skeptical that uh i it's actually a muscle i exercise the openness muscle yeah yeah so you have to i actually have to take things go wait a minute i don't know everything Everything is a perspective. I guess the other big thing for me is having traveled and lived in different cultures. At some point, you realize, wow, there is so much of this is just a construct, mm-hmm. and that people and are all so of it is just a construct. All of it's just a construct. It's so all that construct. anything I believe is true is actually suspect my own questioning. I'm so skeptical. I question even myself, and that ends that ends up me being really. And then open. you can get it. You can get yourself into a pickle of like paralysis by analysis, where you're just not doing anything, okay. and, you're, and you're just stuck in the questioning. So at, yeah, some, right. at some point, at some point, there is a time to take a stand, and there is a time to take action. And that's the thing that's one of the ch- most challenging obstacles for me is okay. When do I choose? Because it's kind of it's kind of almost like can be cowardly. You can you can disguise cowardness in discernment. You yep. know, and to be like, oh well, I'm just I'm open to this and that. It's like, well, so, some point you need to take a step forward, sir or miss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I think that that this whole realm of consciousness and understanding, like, what are the constructs of our lives and. You know, again, if you start going down that rabbit hole and I'm listening to a lot of Daniel Dennett, a lot of uh, Alan Wallace, a lot of even physicists talking on the mind and what is the mind and things like that. So I think that uh, I think you get to a particular age where and again, I was talking to Neil about this when I was a kid. I really think I had a belief that when I became an adult, I was going to know everything about the world. I was just like, know everything. Cause like my dad seemed to have known everything. And I just assumed I would know everything too. And then like you get to 20 and you're like, okay, there's no way I, I like, I, is this all I know by 20? I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to catch up. And then you get into your forties and you're like, wow, I really just don't know anything about anything that's really relevant and important about human existence. And then again, does anybody else really 
care or is it just me? Right? Like who, who is, who is on a daily basis thinking about the meaning of life, the purpose, my purpose, the, you know, is this just a hologram and, you know, is this real? You know what I mean? Like, are we in a, are we in a simulation? Um, yeah. So I think that, uh, it's even gotten me to look more and understand AI more and how these, you know, amazing people like, um, uh, Lex Friedman, I listen to a lot of his podcasts, right. And all the guys that he's talking about and, um, the touring machine and you, you start hearing these things and you're like, Oh my gosh, is, are we going to create AI that's so much more superior of all things than human that why would, why would humans need to be here? Right. You know, like, I mean, could it be that consciousness could be perceived by a machine? Could a machine create its own type of consciousness and wipe humanity out? Right. And I mean, like, I think to myself, why would I be thinking about this? But there are, are things that I'm now thinking about that I had never considered an idea because when I was a kid, you know, we didn't really have computers. We were the first kid on the block to have a computer. So now where we are today, I feel, and again, Aaron, you started with this, like, you know, just a few hundred years ago, you're 400 years ago, you got Galileo. Well, in just my lifetime, I have seen the human race change. Uh, the way that we're moving, the obesity rates, all of these things, and you're seeing it escalate. And uh, I just, I wonder where we'll go in the next hundred years, where technology is bringing us so quickly. Will we keep up or will we be wiped out? I think there will be a split. There'll be the, the, the ones that go within and go into the body and the ones that go uh, peripherally. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like there's, there's I, I don't personally feel as though the technological age is going to go as linear or even exponential as um, I think it's easy to perceive it to do so based off of just like the math of it is that it neglects like the, the, the biological human part. And we jump to these really fantastical ideas of we're all going to be bionic everything and we're going to live forever and and we're going to have chips in our in our brains and we're going to have the internet and in our iris of our eyes and we'll just kind yeah. of blink in a way and we'll get to google search anything and like that's so much of that is not taking into account the systems that the biological organ, organism the sentient being that is you and the miraculous being that is you has been riding on the foundation that it's that it's founded on for millennia and it's if suddenly we just shift in in a 50 year period to everything is robot. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of turbulence in that. And I think that I there's think some, so there's something incredibly gratifying about actually being on the beach with your partner and in Bermuda or whatever, and actually getting real sun and actually having the threat of danger and actually having the potential of sex with a real person. You know, and, and the smell of food that's actually, you know, perfusing your olfactory system from like a, a deep old culture that comes from a grandma and a grandma's grandma and an ancient, like there's like a recipe throughout the ages compared to something that's a bunch of ones and zeros that got mapped out by some nerd in San Francisco or maybe Austin. And, uh, you know, I think that, that, that the fantastical ideas will come to, I think there'll be some level of, of, um, 
I don't know if like a rude, rude awakening, but awakening of sorts where people were like, you know what? I miss biology. <laughs> I miss, I miss my, yeah, bi- I miss bio- my body. I mean, really, biology is so underrated. And I think that we are, our origin is biology. Like if we're, I think that we are made of bacteria and, and over time we've evolved into these humans. I don't think that somebody just dropped a human down on the planet and we just started having babies and propagated. I don't think that's how it worked. I think that this is, um, you know, the earth has been here and life has been here before we were here, but our ability to transform this world as a, you know, with more unity, I think it would be amazing. I, I hope that in some parts of my life, I see more of that um, unity of humanity rather than all the separation. Yeah, I actually have I'm thinking about how the brain oh, biology needs some help almost, at least yeah. for, for in my life. It, it, there's a choice point between, okay, am I going to go to the beach and do all that amazing stuff you just described, Aaron, or at least yeah. most of it? Yeah. Or am I going to get on my phone? Right. And it's not, my phone is not interesting because some nerd in Austin or Silicon Valley made a bunch of ones and zeros. It's interesting because it knows what I like. Yeah. But it serves it up to me at just the right time in a way sure. that it predicts is going to be irresistible. And it's anyway. using it's using the phone and technology as a tool to get you deeper into yourself and deeper into your relationships and the deeper the thing. There's like a, a quote from someone that they, he, she, whatever, said that old people teach you the things that don't change and young people teach you the things that do. You know, and I, I I like that quote a lot, and I think it's a convergence between the old and the young, and you see that in the culture that we live in, in, in you know, the United States or Western culture, there's kind of a, a neglect of uh, elderly, you know, and you see that happening with technology as well. There's, it's not a coincidence that that's that's like a consilient uh, way that we're navigating the world. It's kind of like, yeah. oh, like the newfangled stuff, like, oh my god, and I've actually. Yeah. Uh, Lex is my neighbor. He's like, I could like throw a rock to his place from here. And we've had this. Lex con- Friedman. Yeah. We've had this, we've had this conversation. Maybe it was like, maybe like a, like a month and a half ago or something. And he was talking about the, you know, they're going to have bionic legs and bionic arms. And it's going to be like, people are going to be so much more attracted to that. Cause why would you have, you know, he's like, Aaron, why would you have like this normal bicep that can only curl 65 pounds or whatever? I don't actually know how much I could curl, but, but, you know, whatever amount of normal human weight, when you can have a bionic arm and you could, and there's going to be bionic Olympics and it's going to be this whole thing. And I'm my, uh, retort to that, what to, to Lex is like, well, why do you practice jujitsu Lex? Like, why don't you just get a gun, bro? Like a gun is so much more of a video game. Yeah. Right. Like, why do you why, play guitar? Why don't you just listen why, to the radio? Yeah. Like, why do you do these human things? Why do you run 10 miles on a regular basis? It's because there's so much freneticness that manifests in the human organism as a product of being immersed in technology. Like the static of technology, there's a there's a, a, a bit of a like a, a barrier of sorts between human and technology. And the more we kind of push into that, uh, it kind of it, it, it like it, it creates this for me, like this, like anxiolytic effect of sorts. And then I need to go back into my biology. I need to cold plunge. I need to jump in a river. I need to exercise. I need to just do a meditation. I need to like connect with a real human being in person. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm starting to find homeostasis again, but we can only, I think the technology thing, it's almost like you can let you dip into it. But if you start to try to become the thing, I just don't see it working personally. 
Are you ready to take your skills to another level? Come check us out at advanced-trainings.com. Whether you've been practicing for decades or are just starting out, Advanced Trainings offers a wide range of online and in-person programs designed to boost your effectiveness, deepen your understanding, and inspire your professional creativity. With innovative self-paced programs, ranging from one-hour certificate courses on the most common client complaints to our comprehensive CAMT certification program, we offer practice-changing learning events with industry-leading instructors and a supportive learning community that will take your work to another level. Plus, for a limited time, thinking practitioner listeners like you can enjoy a special offer. Sign up today at advanced-trainings.com and get a free month of our amazing AT subscription. Explore extensive library of courses, cancel anytime, and keep your credits all from just $20 a month with the first month free for TTP listeners like you. Enter thinking subscriber at checkout for this limited time offer at advanced-trainings.com. Thank you. That, you know, the thing I worry about, though, is with young kids today, I can't remember who, uh, again, I had a, so many conversations with so many people these days, where they were talking about kids who are using the 3D goggles, that there's an increased chance of depression because they're spending so much time in goggles that when they take it off, they're like, I don't want to be in this world. I like being in this one. And so because their minds are young, it's actually altering their neural correlates where they start associating the 3D world with the human 4D world. Uh, and I think that's also why like these kids walk into a room and shoot people because they're shooting people all of the time. And there's a, you know, who cares? They shoot somebody. It's like they do that all the time in their games. So I think that's where I worry about the technology and how we're giving it to kids. Um, do we bring our kids out? Do kids still hug trees? You know, are they still in the grass? Are they, are they going to the beach, right? Are they, are they experiencing nature or are they spending more and more times in front of a fake world that's in front of them that, uh, and again, you know, like Lex and all these other guys are always talking about, you know, like this is my vision and maybe this is really all it is, right? Like I'm, all that's existing is what's in front of me. Right. Even if I close my eyes, I can see what's in front of me. But with my eyes closed, if you ask me to see what's behind me, I wouldn't know either. Right. So I don't know. I, I think that's my perplexity. I mean, I just that hits me in the gut in a way, I've got to say that uh, what what's happening with kids. And as a parent, those were the biggest battles we had, me and my kid, as he's grown up. He's grown mm -hmm. now. And it, it really was those moments. I could see him stepping out of the device and going, I don't like this out here. Oh, really? I can see that. Oh, yeah, I can see that in it. Wow. And, and uh, you know, it was he's such a clever guy that our battles were about uh, me trying to regulate that for him at the time that I didn't think he could regulate it himself. It didn't look like to me like he could regulate it himself. Mm. But he was so ingenious that he found, you know, all kind of found like the bolt cutters to the, clip the lock off of the router lock. Or he found, like, he looked up how to do a brute force attack on the password to get into the router. So that he can he could get back into that world. Mm. It was scary as hell, and it, like I said, it hits me right in the gut. Mm. Now, but now as an adult, it's pretty cool to see the relationship he and his friends. I'm not saying all people. It's also I think it's a struggle for all of us too. He has with 
technology where he's like so minimally interested in say social media or things of that nature or his phone. He spends so much time making things and doing things. And what he makes are amazing technological uh, devices. He's, he's a drone guy. Yeah. And cool. an amazing drone guy for that. Yeah, amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You know him. That's right. Yeah. You know him. yeah. Ansel I, is amazing. I was, yeah. I was listening to a thing. I don't know who was saying this, but it was uh, around how to incentivize people to want to make better decisions to be supportive for right. uh, their ecosystem and the planet and themselves and all that. And, the, you know, the common theme is kind of like the Catholic fire and brimstone. We're all going to die. We only have 50 more crop cycles left and the ice caps are yep. melting and we're going down. And that doesn't really motivate people to the same degree that inciting people to fall in love with the world would. Yeah. You know, behavior change. We don't we don't change behavior through guilting people, shaming people. Yeah. And so you, if someone's in, like probably the reason that your son or someone's son is in that place that may or may not be, you know, setting themselves up to have just say for like, you know, without going into too depth, like kind of taking their body into a more homeostatic state uh, would probably be perhaps some form of escapism from this world that they're not really actually deeply in love with. And that's not, they're not wrong for not catching fire with being like, man, I love exercising in the sun. I love it. I love the feeling in my body, you know, or I love connecting with other people. I love being challenged. You know, I love being kind of like, ooh, a little scared, a little anxious and, and, and overcoming that, you know, like I, I've, I've learned through exposure therapy of various different sorts of just exposure training slow step-by-step step, that like, wow, the reward on the other side of that exposure feels so good. I want more exposure. And, and so a lot of the reason that a person young or old might be quote unquote escaping into their phone or their TV or whatever uh, could be some, there could be some kernel of like shame or avoidance within there. And if our tactic is telling them why that's so bad for them, that doesn't mean anything, right. you know, or sh like shaming them deeper. It's like, yeah, I, bro, I already feel kind of like a loser. I don't really say that you know, because yeah, yeah. that would be terrible to say, but like well, at a deep down level, there might be some type of insulation around some layer of shame and your shame isn't supportive for redeeming me of the shame. <laughs> you, know? you know that's not everybody but i think that there, there could be that could be something to that of like huh why doesn't a person like to just go out and be in the sun like what's what's the what what could the resistance there be you know and so i think it's like it's like how do we incite people to fall in love with nature and fall in love with their bodies and fall in love with their intuition the human fall... experience yeah i mean yeah. it's a privilege it's a gift to be in a body i think you know otherwise you're just part of the ether spinning around into the energy of whatever it is we've come from, I believe. And, you know, I mean, to come into physical form and have an experience, I think uh, even for the bad shit that happens, it's a great learning of humility and grace and gratitude. And I've, I think one, my, my biggest lesson is just that hate is not the opposite of love fear to me is the opposite of love because when you act in a state of love things flow just like love does it just flows but you act in a state of fear you think you're losing something something's being taken from you you're scared that you don't know enough whatever if you act in a state of fear i think you you know you you fuck things up
Yeah. And, and can you really fuck anything up? You know, it's like, it's getting into like right, wrong, bad, good. Right. But well, well, or, or the circumstance to which one is in may actually, you might actually react in a way when you're acting in a state of fear that makes things worse. You know, you're, you're now fighting for your life. You're fighting for someone else's life. You're fighting for what's right. Right. And then that is a fight. And, and uh, that's not very loving. And I think, uh, I think we make a mistake of that. And, and that's a learning, you know, if you do it once, you might not want to do that again. Like you might actually, like I say, have somebody saying something to you, you're having a reaction all inside your mind, like an Allie McBeal thing where you want to punch them right in the throat, but then you don't. And instead you ask a question or you say something and it completely diffuses the need to react in a violent way yeah. and but then sometimes making things worse is exactly what a person needs to signal change so if you were always in prevention of say like forest fires for example and you're like oh like put out the fires put out the fires you could hypothetically be setting yourself up for some like cataclysmic disaster you know and 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 so if we're in fighting and resistance and uh of anything that could be perceived from our moralistic judgment is, is good or bad. It's like, all you got to do is like, like I've, I've felt pretty devastated around certain things in my life. And after the fact, I look back and like that thing that I would do everything that I possibly could to push away was in fact, the thing that actually brought me into a place of being able to change. So I agree with everything you're saying. And also I think there could be a, a place for things being quote unquote bad and you know quote unquote yeah, exactly right there they're they're learning curves right yeah i get I it i want to if i can i want to get specific to or personal even because i see you both as people who bring your personal uh seeking and processes into your public work for sure that's something i admire about both of you mm -hmm. i think you were talking about some really important things but maybe in general terms is there a place where do you get challenged where do you get challenged to do this embodiment piece? Because you're both body, amazing body people too. Where do you get challenged there and how do you work with it and where do you fail and where do you feed? I get challenged all kinds of ways. I get challenged in um, a lot of comparison. You know, that, that, would, be, that would be a big thing. And that's, the, that's like the, the, the balance of exposure to the internet is you get to be inspired by, you know, the, the quote unquote best in the world, all the things. And you yeah. also have the availability to to run this perpetual comparison game. Uh -huh. you know? And so that's the thing that I have to be able to navigate within myself. And the thing that is the most supportive within that, it's kind of like comparison could be a, a comparable uh, relationship to like technology, like absorbing yourself in technology, absorbing yourself in anything other than rooting in the things that truly matter like the invisible things that will always be there you know like the free st stuff that makes you feel like that that deep kind of visceral way yeah. uh reinvesting bandwidth into that and sometimes in a you know in my like life, so comparison in terms of what your your bicep size or your audience size or where where is the uh, my th yeah my thing would be would be more i feel pretty um confident in physicality Okay. Um, I can be, my main comparison would probably be like, yeah, like audience, uh, career, business, book sales, uh -huh. pro program sales, stuff like that. And, okay. I, and I, and I can also simultaneously, um, acknowledge, you know, one, just how grateful I am and how just absurdly, I mean, I, I think 
I don't know. I don't know if luck is the appropriate word, but I'm just like, wow. You know, I have that as well. Where I'm just like, oh my God, like this is so unbelievable how just how much I have to be grateful for. Yeah. And then also there is the other train running simultaneously of like, well, what about them? You know, and so I I I think that something that I notice, you know, I just went, I just got back from I was traveling for a couple of weeks. We went to a bunch of different countries in Europe and went to Egypt for a little bit. And during that time, something that I notice is, and you guys have all noticed this, anybody listening has noticed this. Uh, I think there's a, a direct correlation of the actual um, joy that a person experiences to the amount of time they spend on social media and like comparing themselves to other people or sharing yeah. about, oh my God, I'm so awesome. Well, and so that's something that I, I find is, is like an available tool is like a person when we have such a, a plethora of availability of um, things that don't really like satiate our souls, whatever that means to an individual, uh, they don't make us feel good at like a deep visceral level. Uh, it's like junk food for the, for the, soul, food, for the that. Yep. yeah, uh, when there's so much of that, you really need to have, um, if you want to feel better, you know, it's up, it's up to you. There's no judgment, like feel however a person chooses, you know, and maybe the way that you're feeling right now is exactly perfect to arrive you at the place that you'll be in one year, five years, 10 years, who am I or anybody else to say, like, you're perfect the way that you are. I'm perfect the way that I am. And if I, if I do want to make a discerning effort to create change from where I'm at, and I'm like, you know what, the way I feel right now, like, it's not good. Like, I know that I can feel better. There's a better version of myself in here. Uh, it's actually, you know, I think writing out the things that make you feel better, like actually creating a list of like, what makes me feel good? Cause I might not know what makes me feel good. Yeah. I might just be kind of every day, just, just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what happens. I don't have any plan or organization around the way that I execute my day. And so I think outlining that, like who makes me feel good? Um, when I hang out with Lisa, there's something about her. There's no judgment. I don't actually know Lisa, but there's no judgment. They're just, they're very like loving. They just, they see the best in me. Like, okay, like more Lisa when I'm outside in nature, when I'm taking a hike, when I'm exercising, you know? And so I think that that could be a supportive thing to make it be, you know, of, of value to other people as well. You're talking about consciously cataloging the resources, the things that make you feel good. Yeah. You do so that with your business. Balancing. Yeah. You yeah. do that. You do that with your finances. You know, it's like the Peter Drucker quote, what, what gets measured gets managed. You know, so like, what if we, if we're in, you know, what, what folks on the internet say is, is like a mental health epidemic, you know, and people like statistically, there's a trend going upward towards, from what I read, suicidal ideation and usage of, of anxiety medication and depression medication and, you know, obesity and diabetes. Like there's a lot, statistically speaking, the trend of the, of the herd, it seems like it's going in kind of a funny direction. And so if we were to look at it from like a, an analytical lens or like a business lens, I would say, okay, well, let's like extrapolate out and see like what's, what's working and what's not, you know, and actually write that stuff down and have, create accountability with yourself, be the CEO of your own life and say, okay, what did I do today that actually was chicken soup for my soul or whatever that, that book is called. What is that book called? Chicken soup for the soul. Chicken soup for the soul yeah. Yeah. Like right. what, what, where did I do chicken soup today? And where did I do Jolly Ranchers? And like, write that shit down <laughs> because it's very, if you eat 55 Jelly Rancher, Jolly Ranchers in a day, whatever they're called. And you, you write that down, you're like, dear God. You know, whereas if, if you don't write it down, it's just a, just another kind of 
slippery ethereal day like wow i feel kind of like shit but oh well right. but you Why? write it down no. and you actually look at you like yep i had 55 jolly ranchers today 55 <laughs> you're like i don't want to do that again i don't want to see that yeah so that that could be a, a thing that's nice you're talking about like a reflective process or the metrics but also then a, a time to sit and reflect and connect the dots yeah just what makes you feel good because you deserve to feel good you know, and, and that's that gets into like a deeper layer of of one's belief system and their identity structure. Do you believe that you deserve to feel good? That's right. You know, and, and that's the thing. If you if you unpack yourself enough, you might come down to a place of like, oh, it actually doesn't feel good to feel good because I I learned at some point that it's dangerous to feel good. And if I feel too good, it's going to get taken away. So I don't oh. want to feel too good. You know, so then it becomes more of a of a deepening process to get to know you know the self, and it gets you know it gets it just gets more rewarding and and weirder the deeper a person goes, and and a, and a common starting point that it seems like probably all of us had was like starting probably with the body, you know, and you start off with like you know connective tissue and joints, and my back hurts, or you know I have an eating disorder or something of the sort. It's, it's more physical, and then typically if a person sits with that long enough it starts to dissolve into the deeper layers which is like okay like who am i you know and what's and what's what's the the belief systems that are holding these postural patterns and you know you know all of the patterns that i call myself together yeah so is there is there a challenge you're willing to share with us uh you know i mean i think well uh I mean, I'm, there's all sorts of challenges in life, but I, I guess like I'm what Aaron was saying, you know, like as a human, I feel very satisfied with myself. I feel like I'm doing my very best to contribute to this world and leave it a better place than what I came to it. Uh, that I remember my grandpa saying, you know, I said, grandpa, what's the best job for me? And he said, Susie, if you can find out something that you love to do and people pay you for it, that's the best job in the world. I was like, huh, what would that be? So I feel very privileged that I've been able to come into people's lives and help them transform from the education I've had and from the experiences I've had. And it's just, it's uh, it's amazing, you know, when you when you get to stand in front of people and you get a lot of thank yous, you get um, a lot of connection, you feel transformation, and I think that that really keeps me going. Um, I'll side with Aaron on the whole. I've never really been into social media. Uh, I never did social media, right? As a business owner, um, we you know we got into the whole social media thing way too late and uh, i've had things like my like recently like my social media account sue hitzman i was impersonating sue hitzman and so they took that away from so they took my page down and uh i've lost a facebook page and we lost one mail page you know, like so i've had i've had fraud i've had all sorts of crazy things happen in business that you would think would harden some aspect or i've had people say to me what's your brand i say melt method and they go to instagram they're like well you only have twenty five thousand followers so it can't be that important or something like that and you just like want to go like, what have you done, jerk? You know, like, why are my numbers so important? Because I know how many people I've affected. And really, does it really matter? I mean, when I die, is anybody even going to remember me? It doesn't even matter, right? The only thing that's important is what I'm doing right here and now. And the rest of it, I just let my, my team deal with. And I finally have a team helping me who say, this is, we can help more people. You could reach more people. I'm like, help me to do that. I don't know 
how to do hashtag, hashtag awesomeness or whatever it is, you know, that make people look at your post. I, I just don't even understand any of that. And, and I would rather spend 10 minutes with real people than five seconds on social media. So I do social media to reach people, to impact people's lives, to wake people up, because in doing that, I think it makes me um, fulfill a purpose that I just innately believe is why I get the opportunity to be a human being. So, you know, thank you for that. No. And then on the other hand, I don't know anybody else who uses social media in the way you do to bear your soul to us and to share what's going on for you on the personal level in a way that's very, both very uh, personal, but really universal. Well, that was on my on my personal. You're talking about my on my personal Facebook page when Chris died. That was, a, I mean, the whole thing was just so outrageously like, what is happening? How could this be happening? And I I'm a writer, right? I write I write in a journal every day. I meditate. I and then I come out of that, I sit, I do some breath work, and then I write for half an hour. And sometimes it's just a bunch of muck. Like, it's just weird. But every once in a while, there are things that I will write that are so from my heart and my soul, I almost feel like I'm channeling some message that when I read it back, it affects me so deeply. I would put excerpts of my journal on Facebook and it was one of the things that helped me get through the darkest days of of loss you know it, it was definitely the thing that helped me um i had launched anatomical gangster which was this podcast that i've never really gotten to do but i've have all of these i'm actually going to put them all up on youtube on, a, on the anatomical gangster i'm going to just put them up there i got to speak to all of the mentors and educators that have helped me get through life and have have just helped me. And in that, they all came and I, I said, yeah, I want to have these conversations and just talk about whatever. And it, it just helped. I think that uh, it really it really did. It helped me to change my perspective, to find compassion for his family, to find compassion for our situation um, and to this, this being your husband who died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So that was, that was like, I think that's hopefully the hardest thing I'll ever have to endure in a lifetime. Um, but, uh, but, but for sure, by far and away, um, that, that has forever changed me just like when my dad died, you know, you can't, you can't get around death and not think that that's going to change you. But, but I feel like a better person because of it. So back to what Aaron had said before, sometimes shitty things have to happen because it's kind of like, uh, you know, they say the, you know, a lotus flower needs the mud. It can't grow if it's not in the mud. So you have to have the mud to let the lotus flower grow. And I, and I really believe that sometimes those hardships change everything. I th- I'm with you. And I actually, this occurred to me because I think of you both in different ways, but in this common way that says you're both sharing your personal process, your pro- personal seeking in a way mm-hmm. with a, in a public, very public space with a large audience. And that's, if there's a struggle for me, if it's a challenge for me, it's um, knowing how to do that, honestly. Being courageous enough to bring it forth. Because that's, and sometimes that's the only thing that's alive. That's all I can do. Mm. Yeah, you, you feel, you feel less wife. alone, right? That's I mean, right. When talking I, when about I, my wife 
going through her cancer journey, for example. Exactly. All I can do is get her on the podcast and let's talk to her about what kind of body work works for her. Hmm. Yeah. And, that, same- and that's important because the, the words that we say, the, the important thing when I wrote those things and, and these kind of podcasts that you're doing are the people that then write in and it has helped them in some way where they'll be like, I'm so grateful to, to read this because I've been through a circumstance the same and I never, I had never thought of these things this way, but now that I'm observing this, I, I, this makes so much more sense. And thank you for putting those words in front of me. And I'm like, you know, that's wonderful. And your, your wife and the way that she's battled cancer and her education on everything that she does. I mean, like, this is important stuff that people talk about. It, It helps people. Well, like I said, there's nothing that's more real for me. So the challenge for me is like, how do I bring, how do I live from there and do my work, do my public work, do my teaching, do my podcasting. Yeah. You know, here's a weird phenomenon too that I wanted to flag as we're probably kind of wrapping up here. That is the one where people come up to me and say, oh, I saw your video. Turns out it was from like 15 years ago. That was so great. You changed my whatever. And I'm going, okay, that guy is not quite the guy I am today. How do I honor that uh, for them and knowing myself that I'm actually saying something pretty different at this point? You two ever face that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I was the crunch boot camp lady, you know? I mean, I had this boot camp video that's still out there and people be like, I watched your crunch boot camp video. I used to see you on fitness and it was like, oh, well, you know, I've evolved a little bit. I still love the fitness, but uh, there's other things that I'm very curious about that, you know, as you get older, you just find the people who are going to influence you and the, the, you know, you just start, you know, what do you say? It's like, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And then when you know it, you can't unknow it. And then you probably have 500 more questions and now you got a whole bunch more things to know. So I feel like I'm in that. Uh, abyss of learning always yeah i think it'd be like the you know whatever more i I feel like i'm i'm like regurgitating a lot of like philosopher philosophical jargon but you know the the root of suffering is attachment and if a person is valuing themselves or basing their value off of something in the periphery it's fine it's not right or wrong but it will oscillate based off of the weather and based off of the stock market and based off of the real estate market and based off of other strangers perceptions of you and probably the only way for a person to learn that would be to get hurt you know and for it to hurt enough that they're like oh man i want to stop doing that and then you get then you slip back and then you get hurt again you're like i gotta really gotta stop doing that And then you do that over and over and over again until you just slowly whittle that away of like, okay, what doesn't hurt me? And how do I invest more of myself into that, which does not hurt me? You know, and I think that that's if if a, you know, analogy of like developing a self-sustaining property is coming to mind. Like if you're, if you're investing in permaculture where you can live on your land and you can gather water and you've got some chickens and some bees and some, some ruminant animals grazing the land and you know you're you're like harnessing resources and you're sovereign and you have agency and you're self-sustaining to some degree and you can invite people in to your to your home and say like man i got this great home that i've been working on cultivating for the last 10 years like it's it feels great in here it's spacious it's nice 
we've got resources like you guys are welcome to come over this is a good time um that would be one version of existing uh and then and that would could be like a person that's posting stuff on social media you know or whatever you know sharing their art in the street or playing music without attachment to other people's perception but just they're actually doing it for the joy of it resonating with them yeah and that's like rick rubin has his, his he recently had a book come out that kind of gets into that specifically uh you know and then the other version would be having like a um innate awareness that you are inextricably tied to the teat of culture or the teat of the electric company or the teat of the government or the teat of you know all these outside resources like me like i'm i'm in an apartment right now you know so if my electricity gets taken away or my water gets turned off or whatever um you know i get evicted or something it's like okay well shoot you know it's if i didn't have a, a backup plan if i based my whole livelihood and my my value upon this home um that would create some deep uh like subterranean insecurity and subtle anxiety that would just be looming within me you know so i think again it comes into like a bandwidth thing like what are you investing your bandwidth and and where is your attention actually going and many well, many Oh. I, I want to say that's my bug. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to tell you, like, I even, I anytime oh, somebody you. writes something where I'm like, I really love this. You know what I really love about your book, and and I don't think that if you know if you just saw the Align Method, you know, because again, your bottom, your uh, tagline is a modern movement guide for a stronger body, sharper mind, and stress-proof life, and it really is. I, I mean, I love that. You Thank know, you. you yeah, like he quotes Hippocrates and all sorts of stuff. And there's all sorts of stuff. You talk about trauma and stress and sleep and how being grateful is important. And then there's movement. This new one has has exercises in it, even breath work. Thanks. It's really a great book. I mean, I really feel like you put a lot of yourself into a book and it's a it's it's a lot of information, um, but it's useful for anybody so i think that it's a great uh i thought it was a great oh, book. i you. really and the goal I really, the, I really appreciate you saying that. and the goal is for it to be really digestible and simple because yeah, I'm, I'm not um you know i'm not like especially smart you know I'm, I'm decent at connecting ideas i think is like a like a virtue of mine um but when things are too complex i'm i'm kind of like I, i'm i check out yeah you know? and, and so with with creating a book my intention was to make it kind of like the whatever that Einstein quote is, you know, if you can't describe it to a second grader or first grader, like you don't you, know it well you enough. Don't actually, you probably don't actually understand it. So the mm -hmm. function of the book is really to be written in such a way that you could sit down on the toilet. Maybe you have a squatty potty. So you're elongating your rectum, you know, and, and, and uh, allowing yourself to have a healthy defecation, um, you know, avoiding hemorrhoids and things of the sort. We write about that in the book, uh, but you'd be able to open up any page and within six sentences gather something that's actionable and maybe yeah. there's a little humor in there as well and it was just very easy to digest yeah. you know and that's that's the that was the main intention of it so i i, I so greatly appreciate you uh enjoying i think it. you nailed it i really do i think it's a great book we'll put a link to it in the show notes of course thanks well listen uh it's been a great conversation um what do you want to leave us with what are you what's exciting in your pipeline what are your closing thoughts where's what do you well, want to say for me? Out? 
Oh man, yeah. I'm just so grateful to get to connect with you guys. Like I said, I've been, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've studied both of you guys pretty extensively and fused a lot of my perspectives are a product of sitting on the shoulders of not just YouTube, but like lots of people, but you fall into those categories. Um, you know, so it's such a, an honor to get to connect with you in, in this way. Uh, and it really is like super humbling. I'm like, when you asked me to, to record, I was like, oh boy, what am I going to contribute to them? Uh, you know, so but the, so you get to have the opportunity to get to share is like a, it's a very cool thing. So I appreciate that. And we have, I mean, I could, I, we have like a, a, if I was, if it's something that I would be promoting of mine, I mean, the book is a fine thing. The podcast is, you know, if you're into podcasts, obviously you are, that'd be a fine thing. And then we have the, uh, first week of the six week aligned method program, which is like the, the digital version of the book that goes into how exactly very specifically in a very digestible way to mobilize really all the major joints throughout the body and finding like joint neutrality balance throughout the system uh, a lot of breathing dynamics and um you know like gait locomotion stuff teaching a person just how to inhabit themselves with greater ease mm -hmm. uh the first week of that is free and that is at alignpodcast.com slash amp stands for align method program uh and i think that would be it i just i just really appreciate you guys sharing time with me is such a such a, a pleasure to get to connect in this way thank you yeah well again we'll link that in the show notes how about yeah. you Sue? <clears throat> well uh we're always doing all sorts of things with milk but um in uh the fall in uh, the end of october beginning of november we have just a couple of spots left but we're doing a retreat at um costa rica and I'm hoping to also have my friend Mark McDonald involved in this with his nutrition. And it's kind of like the 100 days before the actual event. We're going to have a uh, private Facebook page with like 100 tips over the 100 days, trying to make a 1% change out of 100 days until you get to 100% change kind of an idea. So we're going to be doing that. And uh, I had put a bug in Aaron's ear for next year. I'm trying to figure out ways to collaborate with people that I want to hang out with who have methods, concepts, ideas um, that can carry into uh, a room of people as, so that it's not just melt, but it's a, kind of a collaboration of somebody doing dance, movement, meditation, maybe sound healing, whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of in the uh, mindset. I'd love to have more opportunities to do collaborative events than to do solo events uh, as much. I just am maybe at that place in my life where I just kind of want to sink into connecting a little bit more deeply i'm with you if i if i could just put in that as mine as well my most exciting thing are the collaborations and like this conversation we're having now doing a fun collaboration with a contact improvisation teacher over the summer mm. going to uh puerto rico having a retreat there around thanksgiving just before thanksgiving where we're doing an expanded timeless version of what we usually cram into just a little bit of time. So we're going to stretch it out on the beach in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And then walking uh, a good section of the Camino de Santiago over the Pyrenees with Robert Schleip and a bunch of other uh, fascial teachers oh, next cool. May. Next May, so come join us for like a walking workshop on the hoof. Oh, it's going to be awesome. I love that. Anyway, uh, thank you. Oh, Sue, thanks for uh, joining today as my special co-host and then Eric, my special you. guest. All right, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you both. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's mutual. See you later. All right, see you.
Books of Discovery has been part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud, proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring massage and bodywork community and livening content that advances our profession. Check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners like you save 15% by entering thinking at checkout. Thanks, Books of Discovery.